Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. All right, everybody. So I hope you enjoyed last week's episode talking about what's in your heart. Today, we are talking about part two of that message, and we're going to be looking at what do we do once we know what's in our heart. I want you guys to do a little refresher on the story of the feeding of the 5,000 because that's going to be sort of our base for what we're talking about today. And I'm going to be talking today out of the version of the story that comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. It's interesting, this miracle takes place in all four Gospels. All four Gospels have an account of this particular situation that happened, and they all tell a little bit of a different part of the story. But John, the book of John, is what gives us the the component that the miracle began because of the offering of this young boy who had with him five little loaves and two little fish. And so listen, if we are looking at this scripture, we're looking at the story of Jesus. If you're not familiar, he realizes all this crowd is coming to be ministered to by him and they have no food. They're out sort of, you know, in the outskirts of town, there's no place to go. And it's too late in the day for them to leave and come back with food. And so Jesus and the disciples are strategizing. The disciples are sort of stressing about it. And they're asking Jesus, what are we going to do? Even if we went and bought food for them, this is going to cost a fortune. And Jesus, it says at the beginning in verse uh, like one or two, Jesus, having already known what he was going to do, says to the disciples, what do we have to eat around here? This is a paraphrase, paraphrase, but that's what he does. It says Jesus already knew he started with the end in mind. He knew what he was going to do to feed them. And so they go around and they, the disciples go around, they're looking for food. And this is how the story goes if we combine all four accounts from the Gospels. And they find this boy who has five loaves and two fish. Now, in this particular miracle, if you are familiar with this, you know that God took the loaves, he blessed them, and he multiplied them. And then he took the fish, and he blessed them, and he multiplied them as well. And there was so much food. Every person there that was hungry ate to their fill, and there were 12 baskets left over. If you're not familiar with the story, I encourage you, push pause, go look up on the YouVersion app or on your Bible, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15 so that you can be caught up to speed for what we're going to talk about today. So there's four miracles that happen in this one miracle, at least from my perspective. And the first miracle is what I'm calling the miracle of the seed. And this is the fact that this little boy had something to offer in the first place. This would point to what we talked about last week, which is what is in your heart. Your heart, what God is putting in your heart would be like your seed in this particular instance. And so we know in this case, the seed was what the mother had given to this young boy for his snack. Listen, If you are a woman and you're listening to this, or if you're a mom, you know little ones need snacks, right? And the amount of food that was these five loaves and two fish was something like maybe what we would call like a Lunchable in today's day and age. It was a small junior-sized meal for a kid. And I don't know, but when I read this story, of course this isn't in the text anywhere, but the way I imagine the story going down is that there are 5,000 men plus women and children. So probably around 5,000 or more uh, women and children present. I'm assuming not every one of these men were married, but most of them probably were. 
Now, if you've ever been in a crowd of women, you know we bring snacks. And if your kids are with you, then you know you bring snacks because you don't want to be in a position where your kid is super hungry. And if you didn't bring a snack with you, you probably have some remnants of snacks in your bag. Like at any given time in my diaper bag, there's at least five loose goldfish and a couple of crushed ones as well. It's just how we are as women and as moms, right? So this is kind of what I envision in this story. There are other pieces of food, maybe other scraps of food that are there, but only the boy offers his food. So the second miracle in this one story is the miracle of the offering. I don't know about you, but so often in life, we look at what we have in our hand, in our bag, in our knapsack, and we discount it because it feels absolutely insufficient to fulfill the task at hand. In this case, what was the task at hand? Feeding 5,000 plus people. Well, if I have a half-eaten granola bar in my purse, well, what is that gonna do? That can barely even feed part of me, right? So why would I offer that? Because it's not going to be of any service. It's not gonna be of any help. The miracle, the second miracle that takes place here is in the offering. It's that this boy had something that for all intents and purposes was incredibly meager and not worth offering, right? It was, there was no possible way it could solve the crisis at hand, but he offered it. My question to you today is what's in your hand? What do you have? What meager, insecure thing? And maybe it's not insecure, but it just feels insufficient. What do you have to offer to the Lord that does not feel worthwhile, but if God got his hands on it, a miracle could take place. In this story, it's the five loaves and the two fish. My question to you is, what are your five loaves and your two fish? The third miracle that we see taking place in this story is the miracle of replenishment. It's the fact that when God blessed it, it didn't just zap into the largest buffet you've ever seen to feed all of these people. It went into a basket, and every time the disciples reached their hand into this basket to take more food to give out, There was consistently more food in there. It never depleted. It consistently replenished. What was insignificant and and not possible in the natural world to feed a throng of people, now with the replenishment that God has put on it, is fully capable to do the job. So often in life, we don't offer our small things because we have no idea what God would do with them. Or we can't even fathom how something like a Lunchable could feed a crowd of maybe 10,000 plus. But when it's in God's hands, anything is possible. The fourth miracle that we see in this particular story is the miracle that I affectionately call the in-your-face miracle. Um, I grew up, you know, going to school in the 90s. And so that was something we said all the time. In your face. And this is what Jesus was doing for the disciples for the people in the crowd, and for you and me. He took this insignificant, naturally impossible, meager offering. He blessed it. And through his supernatural godlike abilities, it became something that could be replenished. And then he stuck it to all of us, right? He caused so much abundance that all the disciples had to leave carrying a doggy bag. There were 12 baskets left over. They all had to carry home something that was more than what had begun, right? An entire basket full of food that was much larger than their five loaves and their two fish. This in-your-face miracle was God saying, listen, there is nothing I cannot do when something is offered to me. 
So again, what's in your hand and what would God do? What could God do with it? Listen, I want to encourage you today. Don't count yourself out. When we were talking last week about what was in your heart and maybe you started thinking and dreaming about what calling or what, what assignment God was asking you to do. Maybe it's to write a book or start a blog or take pictures for people or raise money for a, you know, a, a social justice cause or, or whatever it is that he's put in your heart to do. A lot of times we look at our lives and our schedules and we think, I cannot do this. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough resources, et cetera, et cetera. But if this little boy had looked at his Lunchable and said, this is too insignificant, it's not going to really matter in the big scheme of things, then we would not have this miracle right now. I know for some of us, we look at our schedule and we say, listen, Lord, this is all that I've got. I've got 45 minutes on Thursday. What could you possibly do with that? And then you go and you and you want to think about offering it to the Lord. And then you spend the first 10 minutes doubting yourself and, and being distracted. And then all of a sudden you're panicking because now you only have 30 minutes left and then you just quit. But if we take what we have, God, I've got 45 minutes on Thursday to work on this thing you've put in my heart. What can you do with it? How could you bless that to replenish it? Do I trust you that you can? I want to encourage you again, don't count yourself out. Some of us, we look at this and and we think, you know, we think it's going to be a detriment to my family or to myself if I say yes to the Lord. Because our natural minds are reminded of a time when someone else stepped out and it didn't work or whatever the case may be. But I want to encourage you, and this is a big encouragement, the safest place you can be is in the middle of your yes to Jesus. The safest place in your life, the safest place for your family is when you are being obedient to what God has called you to do or called you to be. Why? Because that's the center of his will. And in the center of his will for you is where all the provision, the protection, the blessings that all flows. Like, like, let me say it this way. The grace of God does not exist to empower you to move away from Jesus. When we're running from God, we don't get to use the grace of God to justify what we're doing with our time, our life, whatever. The grace of God exists to propel us closer to his throne. Romans tells us this, does grace abound so that sin can abound? By no means, right? That's what it's saying, that, that we don't, we're not empowered by God to go off and live through our flesh. We're empowered by God to have the courage to stand up to the things he's calling us to. So the safest place you can be, the place of the most provision around you, the place of the most grace in your life, the place of the most peace is in your willingness and in your obedience to say yes to the Lord. There's another interesting story that has a lot of the same principles in 1 Kings. This is in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. And this is right on the heels of that crazy story where Elijah the prophet was being fed by the ravens. Now, I know people tell me all the time they think the Bible is boring, and I don't know what Bible they're reading because when you read the Old Testament and you think about this as truth that somebody lived out these stories, these are better than like the best drama on TV today. So Elijah, there's a famine in the land and he's freaking out and God is 
feeding him by bringing him food from birds, from ravens. Now, I'm not a bird fan, and this sounds more like a nightmare to me, but I'm telling myself it's got to be like when Cinderella was like, you know, dressed in her dress by those pretty birds that brought the ribbon and, and fashioned it to her and she became a beautiful princess. Not not the type of birds that are in like, you know, the birds movie, Alfred Hitchcock style with, with crows and claws and stuff. I don't know. But here's Elijah. He's being fed by birds and he's drinking his water from the book, from the brook and the brook dries up and he's freaking out. And so he goes to the Lord and he's like, what am I going to do? I don't have any more water. And God tells him your provision. I'm paraphrasing here. God tells him your provision is with this widow in this city. Now, if you know anything about the culture at this time, widows had nothing They had no provision. Your provision as a woman was completely tied to who you were married to. And all of your assets were not passed to you as a woman when your husband died. They were passed to your son if he was old enough or to other family members. And so this is a really precarious situation. So Elijah shows up at this city. There's the widow and she's picking up sticks. He asks her for a drink of water. In the midst of her despair, she's so kind and compassionate. Women, we are amazing people. That's a side note for another time. And so in her midst of her pain, she's compassionate. She brings Elijah a drink and then they start a conversation. And she tells Elijah, actually, I'm out here picking up sticks to create a fire because I've got a little handful of flour and a couple drops of oil and I'm going to make a little cake. My son and I are going to eat it and then we're going to die. That's where she's at in life. Her future is over. She has nothing. There's debts all over her. She's completely, utterly destitute. And Elijah has the audacity to ask her for a piece of her dying meager meal. This is wild. Think about it, guys. This would be like such a terrible thing to happen to you. Here you are. You're on your last legs. You feel like God has abandoned you. You have nothing left but a handful of flour and a couple drops of oil, which, you know, I'm not a cook. I'm not a baker, but I don't think that makes a very tasty cake. She didn't care. That's it. We're going to eat this cake. We're going to lay down and die. Maybe she was going to poison it. The story doesn't tell us that, but it is a very, very sad situation. And this man of God's response is, well, when you do that, can you give me some? Guys, look it up. It's in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 24. He goes, before you eat the last of it, bring me some. Rude, right? This story is crazy. But then the word of the Lord comes to him, and he gives her an opportunity to offer out of her meager insufficientness something that God could bless. So she obeys This woman is amazing. She obeys even in the midst of having utter devastation happening in her life. She gives Elijah a little bit of the cake and this crazy miracle happens where the oil that she had does not run out. It keeps being replenished and it says it replenished even until the rains came. In other words, she had something to eat until the famine was over. Why did this happen for her? Because she gave an offering to the Lord. Now, I am not at all saying that we give our offering to get something from God. I'm saying when God asks something of us and we feel like what we have to give is too insignificant, then we give it as an offering and we let him work his replenishment working power to do something beyond what we could even fathom or imagine. That's the God that we serve. That's the nature of Jesus. A lot of times we've been wounded in life, we've had traumas in life, and we feel like we don't, we're not a whole enough person to be able to offer ourselves to God or to his service. 
I had this picture related to this, you know, we are like vessels, right? The Bible talks about how we are a vessel and and there's a lot of wordplay on this where it's like we are a water jug that we get to hold the living water of God and then we get to pour it out. The Bible says that out of our being, out of our belly flows rivers of, of living water. And if we look at ourselves like a vessel or like a a water jug, then if we're broken, we can sort of look at how we've got holes all around this jug. But listen, I want to say to you, broken vessels actually pour out more water. For those of us that have been stabbed on many sides, have been pierced in many different ways for different types of issues, different types and categories of woundings and hurt, That's just that much more impact we have the possibility to bleed out onto the world. Now, it's not blood coming out of us because we're healed enough. It's the water of God seeping out of those places. I'm not suggesting if you're in the midst of trauma that you take this as permission to just go minister. That's not really what I'm saying, but I'm I'm saying for a lot of us, we are in a healed enough place. We just remember the pain and the memory of the pain holds us back from offering ourselves to the Lord, but we're not still in the pain itself. If you're broken today, if you've been healed up, but you still feel broken, I want to remind you, your brokenness is actually beautiful to the Lord and broken vessels do pour out more water. You have opportunity to minister to people who have been through every single thing that you've been through. So I guess, again, my question for you today is what is in your hand? What small, insignificant, meager thing that you couldn't imagine what God would do, what would happen if you offered that to the Lord? Maybe for some of us, what's in our heart, like we talked about last week, is maybe to pray more. Lord, I need to pray more. But if you're you're like a young stay-at-home mom, your kids are little, it's like, well, I can't pray more because if I close my eyes, my house is going to be destroyed. So what would it look like if you offered 30 minutes to the Lord and you you know, put a movie on in your car, strapped your kid in that five-point harness, and you put some headphones on and you drove around for 30 minutes praying, praying over your city, praying over your neighborhood, praying over your family, praying over yourself, praying over the government, whatever it might be that the Lord leads you to. Something that feels like what could be accomplished in 30 minutes of prayer, but you never, you never know. I had a crazy situation once where several years ago I was asking the Lord, um, well, I wasn't really asking. I felt like he had challenged me to be praying in the spirit as I drove down this one particular road. And it felt kind of insignificant. It felt like, what difference does it make, right? But I was obedient and I began to just pray. And there was about a a half a mile stretch of drive that every time I would be on it, I would just pray in the spirit. I would start praising God. I would start praying for the houses that I could see around. A few months after this, I got a Facebook message from someone who I was an acquaintance with who asked me if we could go to lunch because she wanted to talk about Jesus. She wanted to get to know the God that I knew, she said something along the lines of, you know, your relationship with Jesus is unlike anything I've ever seen. And I need to know that God. It was a really profound moment for me. Well, when we went to lunch and we started talking, you know what I found out? She lives directly off of that street. I had been praying over for three months. I could have never imagined what happened in her family was really incredible. All of her children gave their lives to the Lord. She gave her life back to God. Eventually her husband got saved. What would have happened if I felt like a couple of minutes of praying in the spirit was too insignificant to offer to the Lord? What difference would it make? And I counted myself out. Eternity would look a little bit different. Guys, we don't know what's on the other side of our obedience and the Lord is not going to tell us. We covered that last week, right? What I do know is that when we say yes to him, when we offer what little we have, he gets his hands on it and the replenishment happens. And then we end up with Jesus saying, in your face, look at all this abundance that came from something you could never have imagined. 
it's not just provision. It's not just money. It's abundance of relationships. It's abundance of lives changed. It's abundance of testimonies. It's abundance of peace, of joy overflowing in you because God came through, not just for you, but actually through you and to someone else. Man, that sounds just a little bit like revival, doesn't it? So one more time, what's in your hand, friends? What are you doing about the things that God has put in your heart? There's something, there's one simple action step you can take, and I encourage you to offer it to the Lord with boldness, with confidence, and to see what he will do for you. All right, that's all I've got for today. Listen, if you're listening to this and it's burning inside of you like it's been burning inside of me, stop right now and share this with somebody else. Pick three friends that need to know that God is with them and and willing and able and ready to work these replenishment miracles in their life. Text it to them right now. Share this with them right now. Put it on your social media or whatever. And um, I will see you or rather you'll hear from me next time. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.